Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the PBT Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk. Back with us today is our own Sean Hyken from Pro Basketball Talk and, of course, Bleacher Report. You can find him. Basically, he's just a plague on the web. Sean is everywhere. Uh, That's one way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he is, he is uh, covering the Bulls for Bleacher and us a little bit, and plus just covering the league. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, and all the news going on around the league. Unfortunately, I think if we're going to start with the news around the league, we kind of have to start with what happened to Clee Anthony early. Yes. And I'm not, I'm not sure what to say about that other than, man, it's good news that, that this turned out not to be something that's going to be career-threatening to him. Right. I saw the news from uh, Sham Sharania from Yahoo yeah. said that there was no structural damage and the bullet went straight through his knee and it's going to be about a three-month recovery. But in the long term, it seems like he's probably going to be okay. And obviously, so, I mean, for those of you who haven't, you know, who somehow missed this story, and I don't know how you could have missed this story, but if you somehow missed this story, Clee Anthony Early, who is a second-year player on the Knicks, who doesn't really play much, but uh, he was leaving a strip club around... 4.15 in the morning on Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning, getting in an Uber, and then four cars boxed him in, basically. It seems like it was, based on all the details, obviously I don't think we know everything yet, but based on the details, it seems like it was kind of a premeditated thing where he was targeted, but four cars boxed him in. Some dudes in ski masks kind of broke into the Uber that he was in, robbed him, stole a bunch of his jewelry, shot him in the leg. In the leg. Yeah, and yeah, depending on the, how you hear the reports, like like took the jewelry, he complied, and then shot him in the leg anyway. We'll we'll see if that turns out to be, actually be how it went down. You can't sometimes you can't trust the early reports, but I think your point about like, and it's kind of weird, but you know I spent time as a police reporter. It a that's a professional job, like multiple cars blocking off the Uber yeah. and and guys in ski masks that are armed. That's not like a crime of opportunity. That's a crime of like these guys planned it out. So. My, like somebody, you think you think maybe somebody was at the at the club and was like, hey, and like and like had some people on the outside, and they you know yeah. tip off like, hey, there's this NBA player who is at this club. He's got some jewelry on him. That you know we should we should do something with. Yeah, this. exactly. I think he's being targeted. Was targeted in that way. And 
in some fashion by somebody who was around him that not necessarily close to him, but somebody who saw him and was around that night. But that makes the uh, the case close to follow, but or interesting to follow as it goes forward. Hopefully, they find these guys. But the good news is, like you said, he actually could be back this season, which is huge. I, I think when it first came down and we heard all like shot in the knee, we're like, oh my gosh. But they said two to three months, so he's not going to be playing for a while. But at least you know it sounds like it's the kind of thing where it's not going to you know threaten his career long term. So that's the, that's the important thing. Yeah, and I, I don't think I think the one weird thing to come out of this on Twitter and on you know in the discussions that happened on sports talk radio, some places were like. Well, what was he doing out at 4.15? Well, he wasn't breaking any laws. He wasn't no. doing anything illegal. I, I can't get that. And then there were people pushing the idea of a curfew. And I'm like, are you kidding me? These guys are adults. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's They're grown adults. By the way, in the town they live in, like this wasn't like on the road somewhere, in the town they live in, I don't even, the, forget the practicality of how you would enforce a curfew in New York where the guys live, I mean, some guys live in the, on the island in Manhattan and some guys live out by the practice facility and there's just no reasonable way to enforce it. it they're adults. You can't, you know, you tell them there are, you know, you've, and you, we've talked about this before when, when Jaleel Okafor came up, there's increased security for the players by the teams. Now it's just become a thing because guys can be targeted. There are lists of, Hey, when you're in Atlanta or Chicago or Los Angeles or wherever, Hey, you might want to avoid, you should try to avoid clubs or X, Y, Z in these areas because they've been problem spots and, and they're, you know, high crime problem spots. Sometimes security will actually go with the guys to follow them around. And if you're a big time star, a LeBron James-ish or Kobe Bryant-ish, you probably have your own bodyguard, frankly. Um, and all that said, you know, you can only do so much. And this, like I said, this he was... He was clearly, you know, this was a situation where he was out and not necessarily doing anything wrong and just got targeted. But it'll be interesting. They, there's no way you could enforce a curfew on NBA players. Just it's right. not that, possible. That's the thing. And I, I, I saw a few things on Twitter, and you you know, I, you saw some of it too, where people were saying, well, you know, he just shouldn't have been out. Like, what did you expect was going to happen? But it's like, I mean... Not this. No, yeah, not this. These guys surrounded him. It's not like he was out here, you know, getting in fights with I mean, with Jaleel Okafor. You can say, yeah, he shouldn't have punched this guy or he shouldn't have reacted the way he did. Clay Anthony Early, as hardly know, was just kind of out, you know, enjoying himself at this club. And then, and then he was getting in the Uber to go home. And then some guys happened to know he was there and surrounded him and basically, you know, did uh, Chris Herring from the uh, Wall Street Journal compared it to training day. Yeah, exactly. That's which, which like. There's nothing you can really do about that if some guys in ski masks decide to surround your car and break it in and then shoot yeah. you in the leg. Like, there's nothing you could have done differently to make that not happen. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, hopefully, like we said, he'll be back, um, hopefully this season, but he'll be back with uh, his, you know, it was scary because, look, well, you're right, Clay Anthony does not play much right now, but what he does do is based on length and crazy athleticism and the fact that he doesn't sound like he could lose that from this. That's really good news. Um, so we will move on to other topics, and actually, I think your Chicago Bulls. I don't know how they became your Chicago Bulls. But, um. <laughs> you know, it's actually it's actually funny. I've I've been. I mean, and they've been and they've been better lately, and we'll talk about this. But like, I had been pretty down on them over the last couple of weeks for various reasons because they haven't been playing well, and then all the drama with Jimmy Butler, and you know they've blown leads and all this stuff, and. 
you know, I'll say something on Twitter, like, uh, about, you know, how I think that, you know, whatever game they're playing, like, I think they're going to lose this game, or, like, this is really predictable, and I'll get, like, these, uh, I'll, I've started getting Bulls fans in the mentions, like, how can you call yourself a Bulls fan when you're this negative, or, like, you should go to, <laughs> you should go cover the Warriors if you're sick of, co- like, I've, I've gotten all that kind of stuff, and it's like, dude, I just live here, man. <laughs> I live here, so this is where I go to the games, and, 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 yeah, it's a great market, and a great, uh, city, and a great, that's uh, why, team that's to be why here, but. Here. Yeah, that's, that's why I moved here. Because you know it's a it's a big market. They're on national TV all the time. They're in the playoffs every year. Uh, it's close to Indy, close to Cleveland, close to Milwaukee, so I can get to other cities. It just made sense. It wasn't because oh, I love the Bulls. I really want to cover the Bulls. I'm a huge Kirk Heinrich fan. Yeah. Well, who isn't? He has played I, in the third I, third most last, games ever last of night, Chicago Bulls. Last night, last night, last night at the game, I saw somebody sitting courtside and I actually tweeted this picture and I saw somebody wearing a Kirk Heinrich Kansas Jayhawks jersey. <laughs> like, like does anybody in Kansas even sell those? That's crazy. That was uh, only the second best jersey I saw last night. There was a woman sitting courtside wearing a Bulls number 21 jersey that you know you see it from your front and you're just like oh Bulls number 21 okay it's Jimmy Butler jersey that's cool and then she turns around it's Chris Duhon. Did they even make Chris Duhon jerseys? Is that the one they made that was like a te- I don't know, tester? A, I mean, she might have had to get it customized, but like she had a Chris Duhon Bulls jersey on, and I just couldn't believe it. I, well, I'm just amazed that that number is still around for Butler to wear, and they didn't retire Duhon's. Oh, I yeah. know. I, I mean, I was I was text like I saw that I saw that, and I texted it uh, to a friend who's a Knicks fan because he, you know, Chris Duhon has a history with the Knicks. So I sent him a text that said Knicks legend, and he texted me back. Never forget that time Chris Duhon had uh, 22 assists in a game for the Knicks. <laughs> then, you know, when you think about it, he got that big contract with Orlando basically off of that game. Yeah, that's true. And then he was a throw-in to the Lakers in the Dwight Howard trade from the Magic. And, yeah. like, there were a couple of games where he was, like, semi-passable in that season. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was like thought of as like the savior of the of the because like this is like when Steve Nash was at and like Chris Duhon is Chris Duhon the future point guard going forward like I feel like that was a thing for like a week during the Dwight Howard year. <laughs> yeah, well, they were so desperate for consistent play that year out in Los Angeles. It was nuts. Um, you brought up Jimmy Butler. Uh, let Let's talk about him for a minute. He has the fantastic game on Wednesday night where you know he he kind of is the guy man who hits the. Key late, you know, a key late three and some points down the stretch to force overtime. Uh-huh. Then has the, uh, I don't know what we call it, alley oop tip in. I don't know what you want to call that uh, play lob, from lob, a, the lob play with Pau Gasol. They literally, they, people started asking them about that last night. They run that play every game. I don't know how teams haven't scouted it, but they run that at least once every game. They run the, I mean, I don't know if it's actually at least once every game, but it seems like at least once every game they run the Pau Gasol to Jimmy Butler alley oop, and it works every time. Yeah, so they they he makes the plays. He's been much more vocal as a leader, but that hasn't necessarily gone over well in the locker room. Is that your sense that that to to me it seems like this is a guy adjusting to learning how to lead? Well, I think that's really what it is. He's kind of feeling it out, and the thing that he said because he talked to reporters at shoot around after the uh, comments that he made about Fred Hoiberg the other week, yeah. where he said the he needs to coach us harder that whole thing like the next day at shoot around he actually came over and talked to us about that and just tried to clear the air and like talked about how he and Hoiberg had had the conversation but one thing he said that kind of stuck out to me and 
I don't remember if I brought this up the last time we talked about this, because I know we talked about this on the podcast the last time I was on, but uh, he was saying, you know, this is all new to me. Like, I haven't done it. And, and when you think about it, like, he's not, you know, you you look at, like, the guys who are usually the leaders of this of, of a team or, like, the franchise player or, like, the guys who are, like, leaned on to be the vocal leader. It's usually guys who were heavily recruited in high school who have always been, like, the star of their AAU team and then, you know, became this big high school recruit and then went to a big college and then were a high draft pick. Jimmy Butler has none of that. Jimmy Butler didn't even get to go to a major college until after he played a year at junior college, and then Marquette made him an offer. So he was never the star in college. He was never the star growing up. He wasn't really a highly recruited player. He was the 30th pick in the draft. When they drafted him, they thought, he okay, he's going to be like basically the new Luol Deng. He's going to be this, you know, defensive stopper. Maybe he can become a good offensive player. Nobody thought he was going to be this good. Nobody thought he was going to be like a top, you know, 15, top 20 player in the league you know, a legitimate number one option on offense. Nobody thought this was going to happen, so nobody thought he was ever going to have to be in this position where, especially when, because when they drafted him, this was, this was coming off of, they drafted him in 2011, this was coming off of Derrick Rose's MVP year. He hadn't had all the injuries yet. So people, this he was drafted to basically be a role player on this team that was still, you know, the face of the team was, was Derrick Rose and then to a lesser extent Joakim Noah, who are much stronger, I guess, Derek's not, but Joe Keem is a much stronger personality than Jimmy was. But, like, nobody really thought this was ever going to have to happen for Jimmy. And then just because of circumstances, both with Rose having the injuries that he's had and being inconsistent, and then with Butler making the leap that he has and becoming as good as he is now, he's just kind of been thrown into this position. And he doesn't really – he hasn't really been groomed to be, okay, if you're a leader. Like, if you're, like – if you're somebody like LeBron James, like, he's been, you've basically been preparing for this since he was, like – Twelve. Yeah, exactly. He's he he's and been he other, yeah. When you've you've been in the spotlight like he has, you had to lead your high school team to, to and led them for basically from his sophomore year on. Right, like, um, and even like LeBron had to kind of feel his way out. He had some missteps early on when it comes to this stuff, but he was so much more prepared for this kind of stuff. Jimmy was always just kind of this guy who you know he's this hard worker. He's a great defender. He might be a good offensive player someday. But he's not really a guy that you're looking at and saying, this is our guy, this is our leader. And then he just became that good, and now the Bulls basically have no choice but to make him their leader. So it's kind of it's, – it's a learning process for everybody. And he's – and Jimmy has been very open about that, about how, you know, he's – you know, he's kind of in the early stages of figuring out how to do this, and it's trial and error, and, you know, he's going to do some stuff like, you know, he said the stuff about Hoiberg, and then – Afterwards, he was very, you know, he was very open about, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that stuff publicly. You know, maybe I should have kept that in house. Like it's all, it's all very much, you know, a learning process for him. Is there really that much tension in the Bulls' locker room? Uh, is it? I mean, because from a distance, and you start seeing these stories, and you're like, what's going on there? But is it really that bad, or are they? Do these guys generally get along? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's some tension because they weren't winning for a while, and and because you know you're talking about a transition to a very different style of coach. Do a very different style of offense in Fred Hoiberg. Have they? Is there tension there? Do they? Do they seem to get along? I don't know if it's. I mean, I think there's a little bit of tension. I don't think it's a like it's not it's not a Shaq Kobe thing where there are two guys on the team that just hate each other. Yeah. Like there's no. I don't think there's any real animosity on this team as much as I think you know for the most part. These guys have all been together for five, six, seven years, and they're all just kind of sick of each other. Like. Like, I've, I've definitely heard that, you know, guys don't really hang out that much off the court at this point. There's a few exceptions to that, but for the most part, it's just kind of, 
guys just do their own thing and they're all just, you know, they all show up to work and they do their jobs and there's no actual problems, but it's not exactly, it's not like the Warriors, you don't see them, you know, off the court, you know, making videos and making vines of them doing silly stuff together. They're just not really that kind of team, at least at this point. So it's just, it's, it's just kind of a situation. I think everybody, I think things are going to get better next year because, you know, guys are going to, it's going to be a different team. Gasol is going to be gone. Noah's probably going to be gone. Like, there's just, it, I think they just kind of need to mix it up, and it's not any one guy's fault or any, you know, these two guys don't get along, and this is the source of the tension. I don't think there's any of that, and I even think the stuff between Rose and Butler that was a topic in the off season is kind of overblown. But like, it's just one of those things where like these guys have kind of just been together for a long time, and they're just kind of sick of each other. Yeah, the Rose Butler thing always seems more like, and particularly from Rose's side, but like more from the camps than the players, if that makes sense. Like, it's it's the there is tension because this team is evolving and changing and growing into Jimmy Butler's team over Derrick Rose's team. Um, unless Rose can, you know, miraculously kind of find his groove again um, and, and sustain it. He's actually looked, until he missed the last game, he actually had about three good games in a row, and we'll get to that. But I, to me, it's always been more about the guys around them and the expectations than it was like those two guys didn't get along. I think they get, they, from what I've gathered, they actually get along okay. It's, a, it's more of, I mean, in terms of their personal dynamic between those two guys, it's more of a Durant-Westbrook thing where they, you know, that personally, they, I think they have a very good relationship personally. Like, I think they both like each other very much, but it's, you know, it's the kind of thing where there's going to be some tension because they both want to be the guy, and at least at this point, yeah. it's pretty clear that the best player on the Bulls by a considerable distance is Jimmy Butler, and Derrick Rose just isn't that player anymore, To and he's been, like you said, he's been better lately, uh, but he isn't that player anymore to where he can really command, like, okay, I have to be the guy, I have to be the one to get the ball in the fourth quarter, he just hasn't played up to that level, and that creates some awkwardness because I think everybody is you know everybody's okay with the idea of this is Jimmy Butler's team he's obviously their best player but Derek's just kind of still there yeah and he yeah you kind of have to account for the fact that he's still there and he's never known anything in the NBA other than you know he comes in he's rookie of the year he's a multiple time all-star he wins the MVP is his third year in the league and then you know even after the injuries uh you know everything is still oh the bulls hinge on derrick rose the bulls hinge on derrick rose and now that jimmy butler has kind of emerged as their guy the bulls maybe just don't so much long-term hinge on derrick rose anymore but he's still there it's not like he's gone and they're transitioning they've already transitioned to being another guy's team so to speak and he's just kind of still there trying to figure out how he fits in and that can create an awkward situation for everybody yeah. Now let's talk about it. In the last three games. He's actually performed better. Uh, I want to say twenty point. Uh, had a good solid game. It's like the Bulls did as a team. Like their Christmas Day game was as good as they've played all season long uh, against the Thunder. Looked fantastic. Uh, he put up I think twenty five and a loss the next day in Dallas and looked good on twelve of twenty shooting. So that was pretty. That's one yeah. of the more efficient games. And then and, he was great against the uh, the Raptors on Monday. Which was a big win. Toronto is one of those. Yeah. T- Toronto is one of those teams that's finally healthy, and, and I, I'm beginning to think, you know, it's and it's going to be Toronto and Chicago and Atlanta trying to break out in that two spot. They they seem to be the three teams where I keep thinking, yeah, they've got the chance, they've got the talent, they've got the, you know, the, those are the teams I'm beginning to think could be two, three, four in some order in the East, and uh, 
that said, if Rose is really playing, I don't, you know, like you said, he's not going to be MVP Rose ever again. But if he's back to playing like he did these last three games more consistently, they become a much more dangerous team offensively. And that's the end of the floor that's been their their issue. It has. And I think it's been more than those last three games. But, like, I mean, obviously the last three games, because they were all that he played, and obviously they beat Indy last night without him. And so they've won three or four against pretty good teams. So, like, that's, you know, that's pretty encouraging. But, like, uh, I think Rose's, Rose's, you know, improvement goes actually beyond that. In the Clippers game, I think at the beginning of the month, uh, he, and this was December 10th, he took the mask off in the second half because he had been wearing that mask yeah. since the beginning of training camp because he had that facial fracture. And so he took the mask off. So before then, I looked up his splits in terms of, shooting around the rim like like shooting yeah. within the in the restricted area his shot chart and like how, how what percentage of shots he was finishing uh in the first 17 games of the season when he was wearing the mask he shot 37 percent from the restricted area which is like abysmal yeah that's like abysmal that's yeah. like that's like ricky rubio level bad <laughs> And, and you know, I love you, Ricky Rubio, but that's that's just that's yeah, just not he, good. We, we can, some other day we can discuss how his shooting is going to be an issue for them at some point, but yeah. that's another day. Well, yeah, that, but he was just that like thirty seven percent is just awful. Like that's unacceptable, especially from a guy who was so good before the injuries. And so, in the, in the ten games since he took the mask off, he took the mask off in the Clippers game. He hasn't worn it since then. So, in the ten games since he took the mask off. That number, the shooting percentage from inside the restricted area, is up to 50%, which is still not great. Like, I think league average is around 54%. Yeah, it's so in the mid-50s. It's still not where it needs to be. Yeah. So, like, he's still not all the way there yet, but 37% to 50% jump is not insignificant. No, no, he's finishing better and, and seems more comfortable at points, seems a little more aggressive at points. Um getting there and and like you said because he's finishing a little better i think showing some confidence with it um it's just a matter of them finding some balance within that system uh, and getting the guys you know getting guys who can do it by the way guys who can do it and have played well lately bobby portis has finally gotten the chance due to injury and he's looked fantastic yeah he has and i think everybody kind of he looked really good at summer league and he looked really good at the preseason and he's also just one of those guys who you know, he's he's not – I think, you know, he's still not really where he needs to be defensively, but he's a rookie, so you kind of expect that. But he was one of those guys where he comes in, you know he's going to play hard at both ends of the floor all the time. You know he's going to rebound well. You know he can score around the basket. And then he has that little that little, that little mid-range jump where he can go out a little bit. Yeah. He's a kind of guy, like, you can put him on the floor. And this was – part of why they drafted him and i i do know that i was talking like there are some raptors fans in my mentions last night like why didn't the raptors draft him why didn't the raptors draft him and like a lot of teams yeah probably should have drafted him and i know i do know that the bulls didn't even bring him in for a workout pre-draft because they didn't think there was any way he would still be on the board at 22 yeah i I will tell you and just to pimp our next podcast uh i'm having ed isaacson who's a Pro Basketball Talks, the guy we lean on a lot for uh, sure. for draft advice and, and draft knowledge. He's going to do our next podcast. He was the first guy who I heard bring up Bobby Portis. Did it early in the early in a podcast last year. We were like, hey, what sleeper should we look for? Because I love Bobby Portis. This guy can flat out play. You know, somebody's going to be really happy they get him. They also, you know, I will say That's this. The other thing, the other thing, the thing with Portis is he's really like he's the kind of guy you can put him on the floor and he's not going to be. 
so bad at one thing that he takes something off the table. You can put him in at the very least. There are some things he's very good at, but at the very least, he's at least acceptable at everything. He's not great defensively yet, but again, he's a rookie, but he's not so bad at that end that he's unplayable. So he doesn't take anything off the table, which, I mean, for a rookie, especially for a guy you get at 22 in the draft, for a guy you can just put out there and he's not going to hurt you and he, all yeah. he's going to do is help you, that's, you know, that's a huge thing for them. Yeah, it is, and, and I, I, I completely... I love getting to see him out there, and that's when we talked about before, you know, who are they going to build around, who's going to be there long-term for this team. I think Portis becomes one of those guys along with Butler, and, you know, there's going to be some pretty serious roster shakeup over the next couple years there, but uh, Portis is one guy I think that they'll keep around. He's not necessarily a future all-star. You know, we'll see no. how he we'll see how he develops, but rotation big. Butler wasn't a future all-star either, though. Yeah, rotation bigs, hard to come by, baby. Like, that's, that is a quality thing to have, and they get paid. And selfishly, selfishly, as a media member covering this team, I'm really glad that Bobby Portis gets to play more because he's already the best interview on the team. Oh, is he really? If you, if you, I don't know if you're gonna hit the Clippers or the Lakers game when the Bulls are out there in January. I'm going but, to try uh, to, yeah. If you hit them, you should try to talk to Bobby Portis. He's just a funny kid. Like he's, cool. he's just, he's really. He just, he is exactly off the court. He's exactly like he is on the court. He's just kind of crazy. He. We'll just he'll just say like he'll, he refers to himself in the third person a lot. He's like, yeah, Bobby Portis just needed an opportunity, like stuff like that. He's yeah. just he's just he's just a really funny kid. I've really enjoyed talking to him and, and getting to know him. And he's he's I'm 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 really glad that the fact that he actually plays now means we get to talk to him more after mm-hmm. games. And it's been it's made covering this team a little bit more fun. I will say too, I, the thing I would want to talk I want to talk to him about, or one of the things that just you know somebody else will probably do this or has done this, and I just hadn't seen. It. He's come really reworked the jumper from when I first saw it from even from summer league. Um, uh-huh. he, had, he had a much funkier kind of glitch in his release that took some time to get off. That's kind of gone. He shot from kind of a little over his head more. It's smooth. Now that jumper is smooth. And it, it's one of those things where if the mechanics are there, you feel like that's something that's really going to come along as well, that he's going to develop a, a, a mid range game, which would really add value to what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been great. He's been, one of the bright spots, and he kind of got. There's a couple of things that contributed to him getting this opportunity. He got his first big minutes because he had played a couple of games just kind of in garbage time before that. But after that four overtime game against the Pistons the other week, yeah, the Bulls left Pau Gasol at home for their because they had a back to back the next day in New York, and they just left Pau at home because he had played like 50 minutes the night before. And so because Pau wasn't there playing those minutes, Porridge got an opportunity and he looked really good. And then in the game against Brooklyn, uh, the next the next game, Joakim Noah hurts his shoulder and he's out at least about a month probably. And so now it's like suddenly they have a lot of minutes for Portis. But it's going to be I really am interested to see what's going to happen once Noah gets back because you can't really take Portis out of the rotation at this point. No, you can't. Um, which brings us to the another. I think the final question I was going to ask you about the Bulls. Do you see them making a move at the deadline, or do you think that they're going to stand pat? My default answer with the Bulls is always that they're going to stand pat because they just don't really have a history of making deadline moves. If you go back and look at their history, basically, uh, the last time they traded for a meaningful rotation player during a season was like 2008 or whatever year it was they traded for John Salmons. If you look at all the trades they've made since then, 
the big one was when they traded Luol Deng to the Cleveland a couple of years ago, but that was a salary dump. That was just like they knew they weren't going to resign, and they made him. They kind of did what the Yankees did with Joe Torre in 2007. They made him an extension offer, but it was like intentionally an offer that they knew he would turn down because it wasn't very high. And just so that they could say, look, we made him an offer. And then they traded him. And they got back Andrew Bynum's contract, which obviously they immediately waived. Yeah. And then and then they just got some picks. That was a salary dump. And that was the last big trade they've made in season. Like they, If they've made any moves in season, it's been either a salary dump like that or, you know, they're getting, you know, a fringe player like uh, Hakeem Warwick or something like that. Like they aren't – they don't really make – moves like that during the season but at the same time i mean if you saw i don't know if you heard woge's podcast last week with bobby marks where yep. he talked about yeah they're you know they're looking to get a wing and they're looking to you know they're they've made joakim noah and taj gibson available and obviously noah's shoulder injury makes that a little bit more complicated i don't know how many teams are trying to trade for joakim noah while he's recovering from this shoulder injury taj gibson is probably the best he seems trade. like the best trade asset on that team but Gibson what's funny is, about that is that, well, I think he is the best, well, Jimmy Butler is the best trade well, asset. Well, I mean, of guys that are going to move. You know, yeah. what I, you know what I mean, though, right? But, like, Taj is the best trade asset on the team. But, you know, again, he also, he has his own history of injuries. He's had stuff. He's not, he hasn't been healthy. But he's always, like, he's a guy, I think every single team in the league would love to have a guy like Taj Gibson on their team. He comes off the bench willingly. He's starting now, but he would come off the bench for years and not complain. He does everything he's asked. He plays hard. He's a good defender. He's gotten a lot better on the offensive end he's just you know guys in the locker room love him he's just he he's one of the just all-around best guys on the team and he's got a really good contract i think he's making like 8.5 this year and nine next year so that's the guy they might be able to get something for but at the same time i almost feel like that's not the guy you want to trade if you're the bulls because looking ahead they still have he still has one more year under contract Pau Gasol is going to opt out. I don't think he'll be back. Joakim Noah is a free agent, and he might still be back. But I, if I had to guess, I would say he's not going to be back. So, you know, we still have no idea what Miritich is long term because he was he had a great rookie season and he's taken a huge step back this year. He's just not really making his shots and not really playing well. And he's, I think they still believe in him long term, but I just I don't. Nobody really knows what he is as a player at this point. Having that stability like Taj Gibson and kind of what next year is going to be sort of a transition year, I think that's the kind of thing the Bulls, unless they can get something really good for him, and I can't think off the top of my head who they might even be able to get for him. But, you know, that I would almost hang on to him. Yeah, I, I think that there's, yeah, again, rotation bigs that can do stuff or have real value for you. And unless you're getting something really good back, um, I, I don't know why you make that move. So let's move on. To, we'll talk about some of the other news around the NBA. Uh, I, I, we'll start with Steph Curry, who is, uh, I think, if, look, this is, if you're a Warriors fan, you just got to take this as, as relatively good news. The MRI come back clean. He's got yeah. a, a, a calf injury. They're going to rest him because they should rest him. <laughs> you know, it, it is not about winning 72. It's about being healthy and not making this a long-term thing. So... Uh, he sits out against uh, one game at least against Dallas. We'll see. We as of as of this taping, we don't know whether he's going to sit out against Houston on the second night of the back to back. If I were them, I would. Uh, you know, I, I, and their offense falls apart. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be an adjustment. 
playing without you. Almost like having the, not having the best shooter in the history of the NBA makes it a little bit harder to get open shots. Yeah, it's crazy how that is. By the way, we should before we go too far down that road, Dallas played a great game. If you watch, go back and watch it, I ended up staying up late to watch the tape of this last night. Dallas really hustled on defense. Now, I think that the lack of Steph Curry's gravity... Which is a great scout's word now, right, but right, right, right. his lack of gravity, his you know, meant the defenders could stick on Clay, and Clay, more than half of Clay's shots were contested. Draymond wasn't getting the spacing, you know, off the pick and roll, and, and that little half roll he does that he is that he has gotten in in previous games. There just wasn't they they hadn't adjusted to playing without him. I thought that they would just pound Livingston up against little tiny little JJ Barea. They were not able to exploit that, and. Dallas is a pretty good team, man. Like <laughs> they are. They, I mean, Rick Carlisle. I think I would probably give Coach of the Year to at this point. I have no idea. Ooh, Steve Clifford. Like, Steve Clifford is the other guy that yeah. I would, you know, put in that discussion. But you know, yeah, Dallas is just a guy. I mean, for, like that's just a team that, like, you know, you going into the season, you thought, okay, they missed out on DeAndre Jordan. They uh, have kind of just tried to patch together some stuff. You don't know what Wesley Matthews is going to look like. Chandler Parsons has some injury stuff. And the other thing, the big thing is, I thought Dirk had really just taken a step back because he hasn't been as good the last couple of years as he was. And right now, he's not, you know, he's not 2011 Dirk anymore, but he's he's much better, I think, offensively than he has been the last couple of years. And, you know, Zaza Pachulia has been a lot better, I think, than people yeah. anticipated. Uh, and then, you know, Darren Williams had that, you know, has kind of had a resurgence. Raymond Felton in a contract year, which somebody's going to give him a contract next year and they're going to regret it. <laughs> but he's playing well right now. You, you just got to find a way to close the all-you-can-eat buffets in your town before you give him that contract. The other thing is Rick Carlisle is just such a good coach. That yeah. If you give him even, like, passable talent, he's going to make them overachieve. Yeah, it, he's phenomenal putting, putting guys in places, but they were clearly geared up for this. And it's, like you said... A lot of things are going right for them, and I think the thing that shocks me the most about what's going right for them, and and, and I do mean I was surprised, Dirk Nowitzki's turnaround this year has been stunning. He was missing, look, he was only shooting like 40% from his favorite spots on the floor last year. That one-legged turnaround and some of that stuff was just not going at the rate. It wasn't on automatic anymore, and it's rare that a guy at his age kind of suddenly turns that around and says, all right, you know what, I had a bad year. I'm going to work out, and these shots are going to start falling. And, and they did for him. And I don't know what he did differently or if it's mental or if it was just, you know, a blip on the statistical radar. But he's knocking down the shots he was missing last year, and then that opens up everything else in their offense. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you got to give credit to Dallas for how they played. I mean, I'm, I, again, I'm not worried about this long-term for Golden State. No, this no. Their second loss of the season, yeah, and they didn't have their best player. And... You know, I again, like you said, it's good news that the MRI came back without anything. Yeah, it's not term. it's not serious, and it's not something to worry about. Um, talk about teams picking up wins. How about those Sixers, baby? Break them up. Uh, they are now two and one in the Ish Smith era, um, which is hey. First off, they beat a Kings team that's a mess right now, like in terms of effort, in terms of cohesion. Uh, if you really want to read, not the I'm like podcast plug guy today. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but um, if you want to know more about that, go back to our previous podcast. We had James Ham from uh, CSN uh, Bay Area, their Kings Insider, who's it was. It's actually one of the more interesting podcasts we've done. Go to about the 25 minute mark for the Hassan Whiteside story, if nothing else. Like 
you go back in and, and the, the level of effort that Hassan Whiteside would put in for, with the Kings or lack thereof and why they let him move on. Um, anyway, you know, yes, they beat the Kings, but look, I think that this is, they had the worst point guard rotation in the NBA. And Ish Smith is a third point guard most places. He's their best guy. He is creating for them, and you combine that with effort, and suddenly, you know, they're at least going to put up a fight. Yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah, you have to give him some credit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you know what though? The other thing is they've the th- look at the three teams they've beaten. They're probably the three most dysfunctional oh, yeah. teams in the league right now because the Suns obviously are in their own spiral, uh, and then the Kings and the, uh, the Lakers. Yeah, and the Lakers from Lakers. backwards. Yeah. So yeah, they're not look. They're not beating world beaters, but they are playing. Look. Again, they've played hard for Brett Brown, and they're they they, and they continue to. And if nothing else, that that if he's getting that out of this roster, that's a start. I don't uh, I don't think. Look, they're not going to win a lot of games. They're not going to try to win a lot of games. Got news for you, they've still got their pick. They would still like to have a really good shot at Ben Simmons. Like they they are not going to blow this. But that said, um, they've at least been respectable, and I'm sure Mike D'Antoni deserves every bit of the credit, right, Sean? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And it's also Jerry Colangelo. It's not Sam Hinkie at all. It's all Jerry no, Colangelo. No, it's all Jerry Colangelo. Um, so <laughs> that is again, we, we've joked about that. That is how that's going to go down. However, this ends. Jerry Colangelo will get all the credit if they if they get it together somehow. Um, Al Jefferson has had uh, his knee scoped. He is now uh, surgery. He's out uh, six weeks. That's a setback for a team that's played pretty well. I mean, they've actually done okay without him, uh, especially their defense is pretty good, but they don't score as well when he's off. And, and we'll see. I they were I think five and six going into uh, last night without without him, and twelve and uh, I think twelve and seven with him. They were much better. Something I think those were the numbers. I'd have to look them back up, but they were better with him on the floor just because of the threat he provides inside. Even though he's taken a step back this year from how he played, particularly defensively, a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, uh, it's it's not it's not a good thing for them. Uh, I think I think I, again I think Steve Clifford is a good enough coach, and I think they have enough other guys. Like I think they'll be fine. Yeah, but it's not. Uh, no, no, it's, sir, this is not this is not ideal. No, no, that this makes them stumble a little bit in an, in, in that, and you know, going into last night's play, and I didn't look at the standings this morning, but looking at it yesterday, look the two seed Atlanta Hawks and the ten seed Detroit Pistons. Three games separating everybody in there. Like it, so, these little th- little things. Like, hey, it's not that little. They're missing their starting center, but it, it, we're not going to have Al Jefferson for a while. That's going to be a big setback for them. That's going to hurt them um, in that group. Like they, they're going to slide down that group and have to try to climb back up. They've been one of the more fun teams, kind of surprise teams to watch in the East um, this season, and I, I, they very well may still be a playoff team. But this is going to hurt those that seating and those chances for a while because they just won't be quite as good. Yeah, it's 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 not good. You never like to see this stuff happen to anybody. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Suns, we'll go back and just touch on them really quickly. Eric Bledsoe's out. Um, let's be honest; it's just a matter of time until Jeff Hornacek joins him, right? Like he's now dead coach walking. Yeah, I was. I mean, I think the only reason he hasn't already been fired is because he is a popular guy with. The, in the organization because he used to be a Suns player. He has a good relationship with Robert Cyrus. So I think they're trying to give him as many chances as possible to uh, be successful, but I just I just don't see it working out long-term. 
No, I and I don't think. That, by the way, I don't think that this is necessarily on Hornacek. I think no, that, he's. I think he's a good coach. Yeah, I, he will get another chance pretty quickly this summer, and there will be a lot of jobs opening up, including possibly Sacramento and some others. Um, but you know, there'll be a, Lakers. There'll be a bunch of jobs out there. Um, poor, uh, Brooklyn probably. I somebody said Portland. To, you know, I think it was in I, Zach Lowe, which kind of stunned me. I'm like, whoa, are you kidding me? Because I that I, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing that. I think it would be a mistake to let Terry Stotts. I I agree, but whatever's going to happen, um, where, you know, wherever there's openings, he'll be considered. He had that really good year again. I, I think it, he's paying the price for. Um, are they playing great for him? Could they, he do more with them? Maybe. Uh, but I think that there were miscalculations by management as to, A, how good this team really was the year they won 48 games and, and where that put them in the scale of rebuilding. They have a very impatient owner in Robert Sarver. And B, or, or C, I guess it is, it's just they miscalculated. They made, they made the big gamble on Tyson Chandler, and he has been injured. And even when he's not injured, Sean, he, he has not been the same guy. Father Time starts to be, seems to be starting to win the race with him. It's almost like giving a four-year, $52 million deal to a 33-year-old is not a great idea. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of broken down. And by the way, the timing, we, sometimes we talk about this. Uh, when, when, when the Rockets fired um, Mikhail earlier in the year, we were like, hey, part of the reason for this was the timing. They had a bunch of days off coming up where they could get practices in for Bickerstaff. Then they went into the soft part of their schedule. And so... You know, hey, here was the chance for them to get some confidence and pick up some wins. And by the way, they have been playing better lately um, against even a slightly better competition. So we'll see where they stand. But they, they gave themselves a chance to kind of get the groove going. Like, they fired these assistant coaches uh, in, in Phoenix. And their next three games were Cleveland, OKC, and the Spurs. Like, they weren't, like, setting this up for success instantly either. This was a, a little bit knee-jerk after the loss to the Sixers where they're like, Oh my gosh, this has really gone sideways. What are we going to do? We got to do something right now. Let's do this. Let's, you know, to use the Kevin Arnovitz phrase, which I deleted the tweet, but I thought it was brilliant. Let's fire the hitting coach, you know, because <laughs> that's the problem. Um, but I, they've got some real roster issues to shake out over time because the, what they've built there doesn't really work. Yeah, and you have to think. I, I, I don't know what his trade value is at this point, but you know, Markeith Morris is not going to end the season on the Suns, and no. they just—I mean, they just. This is just a weird roster tonight, think, especially with them shutting down Eric Bledsoe for the season. That was clearly like I think they've just kind of thrown in the towel. Yeah, yeah, the Brandon Knight show. Not that we don't all love the Brandon Knight show, but. Um... One other injury of note out there we haven't touched on, but it hasn't really affected him too much yet. The Clippers are going to be without Blake Griffin for a, a stretch of time, and they turn around and have looked pretty good. Um, they, they Cole Aldrich has played well. They are running basically a lot more spread, prick, and roll, um, and spacing the floor using Paul. P they, they struggled the first game he was gone because they started Josh Smith literally for five minutes. And five minutes in, Doc's like, yep, yeah, screw that. And... He is he is soured on Josh Smith. I think you could get him for a rack of shoot around basketballs right now in a trade. They're they're kind of over the Josh Smith experience, um, but they start Paul Pierce and they you're struggling because you got to limit his minutes. He's old. You can't run him out there a lot. But when they read some basically run spread pick and roll and space the floor with DeAndre in the middle and and Pierce out there, it works. 
They've got shoot, you know, they got Redick. They've got shooters everywhere, and it's working. For, you know, well, I don't know if I'd call him Bob Mute a shooter, but you've got you've got guys out there, and then they're getting some good play off the bench. It's it's worked for them. It has. I mean, it kind of goes back. They they were pretty successful last year too. It's as important yeah. as Blake Griffin is to them. Like he had, he missed a few weeks last year with that elbow thing, and they stayed afloat. And they just kind of are always able to. And now it's like, oh hey, Cole Aldrich, he's he's a player. Yeah, yeah. They, they, he has worked out okay for them, especially considering like. Their efforts to get back, and they need to give him almost, I think, a little more run, but their efforts in backup bigs, because it was, you know, the Spencer Hawes era was not impressive. The Edo Turkaloo, Big Baby, exactly. uh, Ekpey Udo era. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> These eras were not good eras for anybody who was a Clipper fan, but they seem to have found, um, you know, they found their groove now, and, and the problem for them is, I think, you know, we've discussed this before, they may be a very clear fourth best team in the West at the end of this, but they're not anywhere near one and two, and then it's a step back to OKC at three, and then a step back. Maybe the Clippers can get up to the OKC tier, but I don't know how they climb up to that top tier. You know, I don't. I don't know how they challenge San Antonio and Golden State without making without making some sort of brilliant in season trade, and I, that I'm not sure that they can pull off because nobody really likes their assets. Yeah, I I I agree with you. Yeah, it's like I, they would be happy to move Josh Smith for you, but you know. Again, what are you getting for? Josh? What are you going to get for Josh Smith? You're not going to get quality back. So, uh, and he's on a by the way on a minimum deal. I mean, when again, this is from the when they signed him, and they brought in Lance Stevenson and all this. You're like, hey, they looked like good moves. They were certainly on inexpensive deals, short term stuff. It wasn't that bad, but it just has not panned out for them. And they they realize they're in their window and may need to make. I think that they're going to look pretty hard to make a move. I just don't know that they're going to be able to do anything that is meaningful. I'll bet Houston would take Josh Smith back. Yeah, that'd be interesting. They, they talk about another team that could use some uh, shaking up, but yeah, he was great for them last year. They used him brilliantly. Yeah, he worked out really well for them. I'd be curious to see if they could swing something. You know, they could send Dwight Howard. <laughs> <laughs> I think the salaries maybe don't match. <laughs> they probably don't match up, and I'm fairly sure the Clippers don't want to go down that road. Um, I also, yeah, can you can you imagine uh, <laughs> how much how much how much would Chris Paul hate Dwight Howard? Oh my God. Chris Paul, for people who don't know, because he doesn't wear it quite on his sleeve the same way Kobe does, or somebody, or Kevin Garnett, or some of those kind of guys, he is fiercely competitive. Chris Paul, that part of the problem when you talk about the relationship last year, and this came out over the summer, the relationship between him and DeAndre, it's because he pushes DeAndre hard. He, he likes DeAndre, but he pushes him because that's how he knows how to deal with things. Um, he's not a. He, He's not a, a, a love team, you know, team first, love everybody kind of guy. He pushes guys hard, and it grates on some guys deal with that, some guys don't. DeAndre was struggling with it a little. He and Dwight Howard would just clash in a in a in a in a, in a boy. I, it'd be like it happened in the uh, locker room up the hall with with Kobe and Dwight. Yeah, it's that would not be a good uh, dynamic. No, not at all. Not at all. Sean, thanks for joining us and uh, doing this. Happy New Year to you. You as well. And uh, everybody come back. I said check back next week. Uh, it, we are planning, if things go right, we'll have Ed Isaacson on Tuesday uh, talking NBA draft. Uh, and uh, guys you should be looking for, guys you should be watching when you watch college games. Guys, besides that um, Ben Simmons guy, I hear he's pretty good, Sean. All right. I, I'm actually looking forward to that podcast because I haven't really dove into the draft yet, so that'll be a good primer for me, too. Yeah, I, I and I, I this is about the time of year when I start watching a lot more college, outside, of course, of my beloved Long Beach State games, which I am a regular season ticket holder and attend 
But uh, I will tell you now that there's not a ton of uh, future NBA talent on the Long Beach State 49ers this year, even though they're not bad, and they held their own at Duke last night. Uh, still ended up, the sco- final score didn't look good, but th- they played fairly well at, at Duke, so I, I will I will take that. They're, 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 they're a threat in the Big West this year. And, I, and, and when we, someday I will have Larry Kuhn on, who's a, a, a uh, salary cap guru and a, a UC Irvine guy, and we'll basically just do like an hour of Big West talk and get like six listeners for that podcast. That sounds that sounds riveting. <laughs> exactly. I think that, that would be the reaction of everybody but like six people. So, All right, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.